0: Well, there were these two men, and they were having this terrible dispute. They lived in a small town. Everybody was kind of observing this. So they decided that they would seek out some advice from the town sage. So one evening, one of the men went to the town sage and and gave his side of the story. And the the town sage looked at him and said, you are absolutely right. So the next day, the other guy, he goes to the town sage, and he tells the town sage his side of the story and, and all that went on. And the town sage looked at him and said, You are absolutely right. And the sage's wife was furious with him. She said, honey, those two men told you two totally, completely different stories, and you said each of them was absolutely right. And he looked at his wife, and he said, you are absolutely right. (laughs) You know, conflict happens, right? Um, it doesn't take much in all of our relationships for the fur to fly, and, and that's what we're talking about here this morning. We can fight about the silliest things, can't we? I mean, uh, like an insignificant detail in a story that you're telling, and someone else maybe remembered it differently, and they're insistent that you get that right. And so they, they create this awkward place. Um, how about how someone drives a car? Anybody ever have a conflict over that? Um, how they load the dishwasher? Uh, I've actually talked to a couple wives here in this last week who were, who were super thankful that their husbands were super helpful around the house. Um, from a couple previous messages, I think, um, you know, men, we just got to pitch in. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to tell you any different. Um, or, or how about folding the bathroom towels correctly? <laughs> ah, I see. I can tell by the the laughs out there that that's happened. Uh, maybe you are in college and you have a roommate who has a quirk that, for some reason, you just can't overlook it, and it's just this constant um, uh, thing of, of, of conflict. What, what is the, think about this, what is the craziest conflict that you've ever heard of? Think about it. What is the craziest conflict that you have ever heard about? Or, or this, what is the silliest thing that you yourself have ever had a conflict over? You know, later, you were just like, oh, that was just totally ridiculous. Or maybe to this day, you're still adamant, I was right? Uh Uh-huh. Well, here are seven ways to turn a disagreement into a feud. Okay, these come from the book, Tell It to the Church by Ron Craybill. Seven ways to turn a disagreement into a feud. Number one, be sure to develop and maintain a healthy fear of conflict, letting your own feelings build up so you are in an explosive frame of mind. Number two, if you must state your concerns, be as vague and general as possible. Number three, assume you know all the facts and that you are totally right. The use of a clinching Bible verse is helpful. Speak prophetically for truth and justice and do most of the talking yourself. Number four, with a touch of defiance, announce your willingness to talk with anyone who wishes to discuss the problem with you, but do not take steps to initiate such a conversation. Number five, latch tenaciously onto whatever evidence you can find that shows the other person is merely jealous of you. Number six, judge the motivation of the other party on any previous experience that showed failure or unkindness. Keep track of any angry words. And number seven, if the discussion should alas become serious, view the issue as a win-lose struggle. Avoid possible solutions and go for total victory and unconditional surrender. Boy. I'm kind of sensing the lack of of humor in these speaks to the truth that we've all experienced probably some of these in our relationships. Um, Conflict in any relationship is inevitable. It's going to happen. Uh, It doesn't matter what relationship it is. Husband, wife, brother, sister, mother, daughter, uh, father, son, son, mother, boss, employee, best friends. The combinations are endless. In other words, conflict or disagreement or anger or hurt, it happens. It's going to happen in all of our lives. Um, Conflict in our relationships can usher in all kinds of unhealthy attitudes and actions, can't it? I mean, it, it, it gets a hold of us, and we go down this road, and we become blinded. Now, relationships are God-given. They are a gift. Um, we were created for relationships. As, uh, as image bearers of God himself, we have this vacuum for relationship. And, and they are also something that the enemy uses against us every day every day. Satan doesn't want us to be unified. He doesn't want us to be content and growing in our commitment and loyalty to other people on a daily basis. And he is intent to steal, kill, and destroy at, and, and use every uh, measure necessary in order to get us to do that. And our relationships are a major battlefront for him. He is relentless in, in uh, pressuring us, in, in tempting us, to look at other people as things, or, or hills to, to lord over, or, or whatever, or, or people to get something from. So he does what he can to get us to think about only ourselves. I mean, that's really at, at the root of so many things as I've been thinking about relationships. It's, it's the thinking about myself and not that other person. It's the pride, it's the arrogance, it's the, it's the need to be right, to be in control. Um, To think about what we want and what we supposedly deserve when it comes to a friendship. I deserve to have you treat me a certain way. I deserve to be treated. I deserve to have this. I deserve to to have that. Now, in the first two messages of this series, we've covered many necessary ingredients to healthy relationships. Uh, No matter what stage of life or our age or whether we're married or whether we're single, God uses relationships in our life uh, as as a tool for redemption, for his sanctification plan in our life. It's part of the process of learning and growing in our relationship with God. Um, he, he leads us on a path of holiness using other people. Unity is another uh, necessary ingredient, you know, teamwork. Working together, fighting battles alongside one another. Now, be aware that, that the Bible wants us to be unified, but unity and agreement are not the same thing. Let's remember that. We can be of one mind, and, and we can live and walk together, uh, this road of life together in unity, even though we don't agree on everything. Humility and wisdom are two huge ingredients as well. Sa- we talked about sacrifice. We talked about submission. Um, last week, uh, Pastor Brandon talked about love and respect, all necessary ingredients for us to live life together and travel in the same direction, to pull together instead of trying to pull apart. And all of those are covered extensively in the Bible. We have incredible guidance when it comes to relationships here in the Word of God. Um, we just have to do what it says, right? I mean, that's where the rubber really meets the road, is in our obedience. God describes them clearly, defines them, in many times in simple ways. See, knowledge isn't our problem, it's obedience. Now, the Bible is clear on relationships. We are to love one another as Christ loved the church. Um, We're to bear with one another. We're we're able to love because God loved us first. Um, So we can, in fact, all get along we just need to uh, know how to do it. And this morning's message is going to help us with that. The, the Holy Spirit empowers us to be able to accomplish living together. We just often mess it up. You know, if, one, one reason is we don't like to work through stuff. It, it's hard. It's uncomfortable. So we just like to just ignore it and, and pray that it goes away with, without us ever having to do anything. Uh, we, we want to take the easy way out. We don't like conflict. I know, I know I don't. But ignoring it and hoping it will go away does the opposite, doesn't it? I mean, have you ever ignored something that, that was an actual conflict? I mean, there's things that we need to just let go. People say things, people do things. You know what? I'm, I'm giving you a pass on that. I, I'm not going to hold that. Well, that's not going to affect me Um, maybe we'll have an opportunity to talk about it. Maybe we won't. I'm just going to let it go. Um, Ephesians 4.31 says this, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. You see, if we don't work through conflict, that's where we end up. Paul is saying these things right here are descriptive of people that don't work through conflict. Rage, anger, fighting, harsh words, and malice. And if we give those, those words, those attitudes, those actions, a prominent place in our life, it then begin. we plant those seeds, it begins to sink roots in. Seeds of anger, seed, seed, seeds of unforgiveness, seeds of selfishness begin to grow and get stronger, and they basically turn into a root of bitterness. Hebrews 12:15 tells us this: See to it, that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. That's what bitter roots do. They cause trouble. And they grow stronger and deeper. And the stronger and deeper they get, bitterness, man, bitterness is hard to let go because it it becomes a part of us and and we we just, we feel we have a right to hold on to it. We, We feel like, you know, we're owed something and so we hold on to that. So what should we do? What do we do if these words are in our life? Jesus tells us in John 13, 34 this, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. So we are to love as Jesus did. Um, and how was that? How did Jesus love us? Well, he served us. He sacrificed for us. He, he, he is gracious and merciful to us. So he's super patient. Uh, he forgives us. And even before we, we were... Even asking for forgiveness, he died for us, he sacrificed for us, even before we were willing and ready. Where are you in your relationships with people? Do some in, internal investigating. Are you cultivating roots of bitterness right now? Are you watering them? Are you getting the other weeds out so that root of bitterness can grow stronger and stronger and stronger? Where are you in your relationships with people? Or or are you following our role model, Jesus Christ? Our role model, Jesus Christ. Conflict resolution is difficult because we're hesitant to place ourselves in an uncomfortable situation. Sometimes, you know, I I can work myself up about a conversation and just be in total anxiety and worry and and, and just miserable about this phone call that I need to make. And and I'll put it off for days and days and days. And And then I finally go visit that person or I go sit down with them or I give them a phone call. And afterwards, I'm like, are you kidding me? Why didn't I do that a week ago? I could have the last five days of my life back because I've done nothing but worry about this. And sometimes it doesn't go over so well. But it's got to be done. It has to be done. Um, we have to be willing to humble ourselves. We have to be willing to admit that we're wrong in situations. And sometimes that goes it's going to someone and saying, you know what, man, I, I was wrong. We don't like doing that. Um, we just don't. But that is a necessary part of conflict resolution. Now, conflict often starts with small things, not always, but with small things, and it builds and it builds and it builds. It becomes this big thing. When it, if, if, if we'd have tackled it early on, you know, it would have been a middle school, the size of a middle school football player, not, not an NFL football player. Um, Ephesians 4.31 says this. I already read that one. Proverbs 19.11 says this. Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. Hmm. I mean, I want to be known as a sensible person. So I need to control my temper. We need to control our temper. We need to take a deep breath and step back. Step back and, and we can earn respect by overlooking wrongs. By, by just Sometimes there are things, like I said, we just need to let them go. Um, bearing with one another in love. Other times they can be a major issue. It can be this huge thing and it, and it takes time. And it might even take the help of another person to, to help walk both of you in this relationship through it. Sometimes, you know, it can take a friend at school who says, you know, I've been watching this go on and it, it's kind of silly. And the person they're talking to goes, ouch, that didn't feel very good. What do you mean? And they can explain it and to have somebody else describe it, it's like, well, okay, maybe. Big or small, we must, as followers of Jesus Christ, pursue reconciliation. This is such an important issue to God that that peace with him and peace with others are inextricably entwined. Let me uh, read to you this, this passage. Matthew 5, 23 through 24. So, If you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and I think we do that every Sunday when we come to church. I'm here to present a sacrifice, a sacrifice of time, a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of my attitude. If you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Now, the, the title of today's message is Fighting a Good Fight. Um, you, you may be wondering if that's even possible. Is it even possible to fight a good fight? You know, Scripture tells us to not let the sun go down on our anger. Um, there's this great theologian, Phyllis Diller. Um, she, she said, don't go to bed mad, stay up and fight. That's, that's how she put it. Um, You know, fight, I think, is a pretty strong word, but I think it fits. And this morning, we're going to look at four actions that we often take when we experience conflict in our our relationships. Now, these are toxic attitudes and actions. These are not the things that we should do. Four things, and, and we all do them. Trust me. When you see the list, maybe you already know the list, we all do these. It doesn't matter if you're married, single, it doesn't matter if you're this tall. We do these things. Um, they are described by, I would assume, the author who, who penned them for the first time. Um, four things that we need to avoid. Now, there, there's, in Scripture, we see the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That, that is a metaphor that the Bible uses, um, depicting the end of times. Um, it describes conquest, war, hunger, and death, respectively. That's the four horsemen. And these four horsemen also fit as a metaphor for our relationships. And um, according to research, these four horsemen can predict with incredible accuracy the potential for success or failure of a relationship. So the the first horseman is this, criticism. Criticism is the first horseman. Now, criticizing others has... And it's become a part of the fabric of our culture. You you see it in almost every interaction, every conversation. It's like we have just become this big, giant, critical country. So it's really easy to fall in step with somebody who's criticizing someone else and also criticizing them. Um, Criticizing a friend, a spouse, um, you fill in the blank in your place in life. It, and it's different than offering a critique or voicing a complaint. Okay? The latter two are about specific issues, but criticism is a direct attack of the person. Um, it, it is an attack against the core of their character. In, in effect, we're tearing down their whole being when we criticize. Um, criti- a criticism looks like this. You always make us late. You never help me out. Now, there's two words in those sentences that we should never use in, in conflict resolution. Always and never. You've heard them from your children. I know you have. You, you never let me do anything. We heard that a few times. My wife's response? Oh, yeah, you want to see never let you do anything? <laughs> See what that does? It just, it's like this instant. You can't say that to me. You always make us late. You never help me out. Those are criticisms, and they aren't good. Um, I bet you can think of a few times recently where you criticize someone. Probably don't have to think about it much, in fact. Um, what we need to do is we need to turn our criticisms into complaints. So I, what I'm going to do right now Um, is give you permission to be a complainer, okay? Don't go overboard on this, okay? But a a complaint in in the midst of a conflict is much better than a criticism. Uh, Here is a great way to turn a criticism into complaint. It's called the XYZ formula, and it goes like this. In situation X, when you do Y, I feel Z, Okay, So, for instance, when we are driving down the road and you change the radio station without asking me, it makes me feel like I don't even matter. Okay, now that sounds a whole lot better than who died and made you king of the radio. Now, it may seem semantic, but it's really not because in order to say something this way, we have to think about it, and as we start to think about it, we think about the words that we're going to use, and a little bit of sensibility seeps down into our cerebral cortex, and 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 we don't react in the way that we uh, wanted to. Because really, when we react in that way, it's like I want that person to feel the same way that I did. Because you hurt me, and I want to hurt you back. Um, here's another criticism. You never think about how your behavior is affecting other people. I don't believe you are that forgetful. You're just selfish. You never think of others. You never think of me. Now, that was in a response to somebody, uh, I believe, who was running late, didn't come home, didn't, was late for supper, whatever. Um, here's the same subject as a complaint instead of a criticism. Okay, I was scared when you were running late and didn't call me. I thought we had agreed that we would do that for each other call when we're running late. Sounds totally different, doesn't it? It's like one, we want to attack the person, the other, we're just trying to find a loving resolution to this. That's in our relationships is what we need to be about. A complaint gives room for the other person to respond in a non-defensive way that may express acceptance of responsibility, admission of fault, and understanding of the complainer's perspective. It doesn't always happen that way. We have to recognize that's not why we're changing this so that we always get the right, the right response. No, I'm changing this because that's, that's how God would want me to, in a loving way, talk to this person about this hard thing that's happening. Um, knowing... Now, knowing these four destructive habits is good, and we need to know them, but, but, but we also need to practice short-circuiting them. And we can't fake them. You know, we, any of us can see a, a fake from a mile away. They, they need to be genuine. And in order to do that, we got to go vertical at every turn. I'm hurt. Okay, God, you got to help me with this. Please, you know, if, if that can be our first go-to, he will do so much for us in how we interact with other people and resolve conflict in our relationships. Now, in your notes, um, I have given you some blanks there, and I didn't give anything to Roy concerning those. At the bottom, after, in Situation X, when you do Y, I Feel Z, there's a blank there, and there's, there's a thing that says Alternative. So in that blank, you need to write Criticism. And then what I want you to do later is, I want you to think about uh, a way that you've criticized somebody, and I want you to write that after that colon right there. And then I want you to put your mind to it and think of a way that you could have said that differently. That would be more about lovingly responding and resolving this as opposed to inflicting pain on the other person. OK, and, and, and there's the same thing is under point number two, And point number three. So just keep that in mind. Um, Romans 12.10 says, Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. We can honor other people in in the midst of conflict. Um, We need to pray for this. God, help me love others. Uh, Romans 15.5, May God, who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Living in harmony together is fitting for us as followers of Christ. When people who are watching us from the outside as believers, as Christ followers of those who say that our goal is to love God and love others, see us not loving each other, they go, what gives? Well, I guess it isn't the real thing. I guess I should be looking for something else or looking somewhere else. Now, if you find that you and your friends or your spouse are critical of each other, don't assume your relationship is doomed to fail. Okay, don't draw that conclusion. Um, But take caution. The the problem with criticism is that when it becomes pervasive, it paves the way for the other three that we're going to talk about, which are far deadlier horseman to follow. It it makes the receiver feel attacked, rejected, and hurt, and often causes both sides of the conflict to fall into an escalating pattern where the first horseman reappears with greater and greater frequency as time goes on. And, And that leads us to the second horseman, which is contempt. Number two is contempt. When we treat someone with contempt, we are no longer criticizing them. We are now diagnosing them. We say things like, you always make us late because you're so irresponsible. You know, you can tell when you've been the subject of a contemptuous statement when you feel about this tall. It's not good. When, When we communicate in this way, we become truly mean. We treat others with disrespect. And we often mock them with sarcasm, ridicule, Call them names. Mimic or use body language. We don't even have to use words sometimes, right? Have you ever had somebody roll their eyes at you? Oh. Right? Not a word is spoken. But an incredible level of disrespect has just been rendered. When we're on the receiving end of contempt, it makes us feel despised, it makes us feel worthless. While criticism attacks the other person's character, contempt assumes a position of moral superiority over them. Like this statement, you're tired? Well, cry me a river. I've been with the kids all day, running around like mad to keep this house going, and all you do when you come home from work is flop down on that sofa like a child and play those idiotic video games. I don't have to deal with another kid. Could you be any more pathetic? I can't believe you haven't done the dishes yet. I, this is for you college kids who are living with each other. I can't believe you haven't done the dishes yet. I had four classes today and you only had one. Seriously, you are so lazy. Research even shows that people that are contemptuous, contemptuous of each other are more likely to suffer from infectious illness, like colds and the flu, ...than others due to weakened immune systems. Contempt is fueled by long-simmering negative thoughts about another person. And when that comes to a head, when the perpetrator attacks the accused... ...from a position of relative uh, superiority, pain is felt. Now, as far as marriages are concerned, contempt is the single greatest predictor of divorce... Now, this applies to all of our relationships. When someone leaves a church because they are unwilling to to go through this conflict, it's like a divorce. Um, When you refuse to work through things with a friend because of criticism and contempt and you go your separate ways, it's like a divorce. There was this person that you relied on and you stuck with through thick and thin, and now you've just said, forget the relationship. When two family members refuse to reconcile and harbor bitterness and unresolved anger, their separation is like a divorce. Now, there's a, a sociologist. His name is John Gottman, and he was a sociologist at the University of Washington in Seattle. And uh, he uh, was, was one of the first ones to do any studies when it comes to this. Um, he, just across the river, he had created what, what was come to know as the Love Lab, and it was this, it was this nondescript building that, that had some areas in it kind of made up to look like a person's home, had uh, you know, two-way, uh, not two-way, one-way mirrors, one-way windows, um, and they would take volunteers of couples. I would assume married couples for this. Married couples would come, and they would hook them up to these things, you know, things that would read their Uh, Their pulse rate and their skin temperature and 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 then they would have them go through a day or two of life As much as normal as they possibly could with wires hanging on their heads and that sort of thing Okay At the end of this study or as they went through this study Gottman found that he could predict with a 94% accuracy Whether a marriage would succeed or fail based solely on how couples would fight. Not if they fought, not how often they fought, not even what they fought about, simply based on how they fought. 94% accuracy. And as I said, this applies to all of our relationships because these four horsemen, your boss, I mean, I've talked to so many people in so many different situations, not just with married people. So contempt, you, you forgot to load the dishwasher again, uh, you're so incredibly lazy, rolls her eyes. Or it could have been the husband too. But honestly, typically, and, and I heard this, I, I'm not making this up, women more often roll their eyes than men. See, we need to communicate that with love and an effort to work through it. Um, it It might look like this. I understand that you've been busy lately, but could you please remember to load the dishwasher when I work late? I would appreciate it. Same thing. It's from a contemptuous statement to a complaint and it sounds completely different. Hebrews 12:14 Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. 2 Corinthians 13:11 Dear brothers and sisters I close my letter with these last words Be joyful Grow to maturity Encourage each other Live in harmony and peace And I think probably those happen in almost in that order then the God of love and peace will be with you Isn't the Bible so practical <laughs> There's power in those words, and there's power when we surrender our life to to Jesus Christ on a moment-to-moment, day-by-day basis as we interact with others and even in the midst of conflict. Criticism, contempt, and the third horseman is defensiveness. Defensiveness is how we often respond to a criticism, isn't it? Because we think in our head, well, if I just simply defend myself, then then there won't be an argument. That never happens. That's like telling your wife, just relax. Or buck up. Right? So, this horseman is nearly omnipresent when relationships are on the rocks. We, we want to defend ourselves. When, when we feel unjustly accused, we fish for excuses and we play the innocent victim so the other person will back off. Doesn't matter who it is, a spouse, a brother, a sister, a mom, a dad, a boss, a college roommate, we think to ourselves, if I just defend myself, that will resolve this. Unfortunately, that strategy never works because defensiveness, instead of settling conflict, it instead escalates it. Because when we put up our defenses, what does the offense do? They come harder. Um, here's a question. Hey, Rumi, did you call Betty and Ralph to let them know that we're not coming tonight like you told me you would this morning? Here is the defensive response. Uh, I was just too, too darn b- busy today. As a matter of fact, you know, you know just how busy my schedule was today. Why didn't you just do it? So oftentimes, in our defense, we not only defend ourselves, but we heap blame on the other person for this situation that we're in right now. Any, any biblical examples come to your mind with that? I mean, the very first one, right? Adam and Eve, that's how long this has been a problem with humanity. This is not a new thing that we're, we're battling against here. It is a very common thing. And over and over we see in Scripture, this is how you navigate this. This is how you navigate this. This is what God wants you to do. And we continue to ignore it and not obey it. I mean, Adam says, it wasn't my fault. It was the woman's. The one who he earlier referred to as flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone, he is now blaming her in his own defense. What did, and Adam goes even further than just defending himself. What does he say exactly? Genesis 3 12. The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me, he's blaming God. Boy, we have to be careful we don't do that. Because we can. God, if I had only not met them. God, if you would only, as if it's his fault. Although it is perfectly understandable to want to defend ourselves when we're stressed out and we're feeling attacked, we got to recognize that this approach will not have the desired effect. We have got to short-circuit this. we have got to take a deep breath go vertical and recognize what our next words are going to do and how are we going to communicate this because we want to resolve this we want to we want to resolve the conflict we we want to work through this um, defis- defensiveness will only escalate the con- the defensiveness will only Esca- will escalate the conflict if the critical person does not back down or apologize because that's, they're, they're now, well, both of you are. You're in the fight or flight. Am I gonna, am I gonna fight this or, or am I just gonna turn and walk away from this? This is because defensiveness is really a way of blaming the other person and it won't allow for healthy conflict management. 1 Corinthians thirteen four. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud yeah i need to love that other person philippians 2 3 don't be selfish don't try to impress others sometimes that happens we're in public and this conflict happens and we're like well i'll show him in front of her in front of all these all, all of my friends and they'll know that i'm really the one that's in the right Hmm. be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves well there went that idea Ephesians 4.2, always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. None of us are perfect in this world. Don't get defensive, but with humility and selflessness, think of others. Be patient and make allowances for their faults because of love and because we ourselves have plenty of faults too. And and look, we, we may need the help of someone else to help us walk through this. But if that's where you're at, get the help. Don't just hope that it will go away. Criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and now we find ourselves at the end of our rope, if we've gone through all three of these, and the fourth and the final horseman is stonewalling, which is a perfect word picture for for what happens. We put up a wall. We're done. I'm over it. In this moment, I'm really not over it, but I'm, I'm not going to deal with this anymore. Um, stonewalling occurs when the listener withdraws from the interaction, shuts down, and simply stops responding. Rather than continuing to confront the issues, people who stonewall can make evasive maneuvers such as turning out, turning away, acting busy, or engaging in obsessive or distracting behaviors. Now, it takes time for the negativity created by the first three horsemen to become overwhelming enough that stonewalling becomes an understandable out. But when it does, it can then become a frequent bad habit when conflict comes again. And unfortunately, stonewalling isn't easy to stop. It is a result of feeling physiologically flooded, and when we stonewall, we may not even be in a physiological state where we can discuss things rationally. When my oldest daughter was about nine, would that put her in? She was a sixth grader, so I guess that would be like 12, 13-ish. I mean, there were lots of parenting decisions that we had to make for her because she obviously was not going to make the right decisions. And we had some pretty strong, what some might refer to as knockdown dragouts, where faces got red, volume went up, palms got sweaty, and in that moment in time, there was not going to be any resolution to the situation. So what we found that we had to do was, when that occurred, it was like, all right, let's go to our separate corners, so to speak. Let's take 30 minutes, do some deep breathing, do some praying, do something else, and then let's come back and let's talk about this. And, and oftentimes, now she still often wasn't happy with the decision that was made, but I remember calling my brother one day and, and I was just so, see, that's what we should do. We should call people that we think would have wisdom. I called my brother and I'm like, dude, this is, uh, let me tell you. And I told him the situation and what the argument was about and, and, and the decision that we were trying to make. And, he, and his words to me were, David, you are not her friend. You are her parent. Don't let the emotions change your decision if this is a decision that you and your wife think is right and it was it had to do with a party and some movies and some eighth graders and she's a sixth grader and i mean the world was ending right (laughs) now even as i say it that way it's not really very good it was a hard thing for her i need to acknowledge that we need to acknowledge with each other that conflict is hard and we need to kind of help each other work through this. So take 20 minutes or so. Make sure that that, it's a, that you've set a time that you're going to come back. Because what can happen is we sort of feel good again after we've taken ourselves out of that situation and we don't want to go back in that situation. But we need to agree that we're going to come back and we're going to continue talking about this and work on this, work through this. Um, we need to go vertical, pray, and look, we, we just, humility, patience, forgiveness, Jesus as our role model, man, we, we, have to, we have to operate that way, patience, forgiveness, um, I don't know, maybe you, you could read a book or a magazine, take a walk, I saw go for a run, <laughs> I guess that would get your mind off of it. Just do anything that helps you to stop feeling flooded in that situation so that you can lower the wall and continue to work on it. Um, I, I want to tell, tell one more illustration. Uh, years and years ago when I was youth pastor, we always did Graduation Sunday. Of course, we honored, honored the kids and, and I would always give a little message and, and uh, we would give the kids a, a gift. It was to, to basically you know, encourage them and and to give them a gift. Um, I mean, it had nothing to do with propping them up, you know, talking about them and all of that. It was just, look, we want to pray for you as you go on to the next part of, of your life. And and we would give always give them a, a Bible of some kind or some other book or whatever, a devotional that would help them in their first year of school. And, and I was also in the midst of seminary at this time. I was doing distance seminary, and, and I don't remember that. See, that would have been, that would have been at the end of a, of a, of a, semester, of a quarter. And uh, we did our thing, and I, I get down from this stage, and I'm standing right here, and, and one of the parents of one of the kids came up to me, and very loudly, um, <laughs> there was no complaining. It was all criticism and contempt. And... Um, I didn't even really have a chance to say anything other than, okay. And then the parent left, and then I have to go down and get in my car and drive to their house to go to their graduating senior's graduation reception. So I get in the car. And, and immediately I, I start praying, and I'm like, God, I don't know what's going on in this parent's life. Surely there's something else that's going on. Something is causing them to feel stressed out. And I immediately kind of began forgiving them for, for this. Um, and on the way over there, I prayed, Father, please don't let this interfere or get in the way of celebrating um, their kids' accomplishments in their graduation. Um, and, and I, I went to their house, it was great, you know, celebrated, had cake, had, and then it's on to the next one. As I'm coming out of the house, I meet one of the other moms who had a graduating senior in, and as we pass, she goes, Pastor Dave, thanks so much for that this morning, you always know the right things to say. So, okay, after this, and, you know, I mean, the, that family goes to church here, and so we you know, interacted kind of awkwardly, at least on my part, I don't know if the other person really was that awkward, um, you know, for two or three weeks. And then I finally just got to the point where like, I, I, it's, it's hard for me, I'm better at it now because I know I can't make everybody happy and there's gonna be people out there that disagree with me, whatever, and I don't have to, it doesn't have to be all, you know, all gushy feelings with everybody, I'm better at that now, but in that moment in time, it was just devastating. So I prayed about it, prayed about it, prayed about it, prayed about it. I thought in my mind what the conversation was going to look like, right? So I went to his office. I said, "Hey, I, I made an appointment. Hey, can we talk?" We sat down. We sat in his office, and I said, "Hey, I just want to talk about what happened, you know, a few weeks ago at church." And and I said, "You know, um, you, you said these things, and and you know, I'm I'm in the midst of seminary, and this, and and you're you're probably right. There were some." I could have said things that I said better. I could have been better prepared. That's kind of what I think I said. Um, and, and then I said, and, and though we, we don't ever, we've never, it's never been a part of what we do, so this was a little bit of defensiveness on my own part, which maybe shouldn't have been a part of this, but um, you know, we, the point of that, and I told him what our point every year is for this little thing, it's not to talk about the kids' scholarships and their grades and all of that. We just don't do that. And then I ended with this. XYZ. I said, when you you said those things the way that you did in the front of the church there, it really made me feel like this. And he looked at me across the desk and he said, good, that's how I wanted you to feel. Now, that's not how I saw that going, of course. In my mind, it was going to be, you know, you're right, I'm really sorry about that, you know, I apologize, would you forgive me? That's what I... I had hoped he would say. But that's not what he said. So I left there not devastated. Um, because we got to know that when we, when we try to reconcile with somebody, it's not always going to go the way that we think it should. And, and on my drive home in the car that day, single youth pastor. Um, no, we were married. Um, Laughter. I said, God, you know what? Thank you for that. That was a hard thing to do. I did it. I believe before you, God, I've done everything that I'm required to do. I, 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 I tried to reconcile. Um, you know, my, I'm not going to own this anymore. It's, it, his feelings for me are not going to rent space in here anymore. Um, you know, he never did apologize. I, he probably just forgot. It wasn't a big deal to him. You know, he forgot about it. Uh, I was later a part of their, one of their kids' weddings, you know, conversation at the, it, it was like it kind of didn't happen. But I, I, we, we got to do what God is calling us to do. And uh, in a loving way. Um, Bob, worship team, you can come up here. I want to close with this. Um, criticism, contempt, defensiveness, stonewalling. That's the four horsemen. Um, And sometimes even the four horsemen of the apocalypse in our relationships. Um, And how we counteract those is by praying, communicating, how we're feeling in a softer way, using the essential tools that we talked about today to manage conflict in a healthy way. And as soon as you see criticism or contempt galloping in, don't jump on their back. Do what you can to to rein them in. Uh, remember those antidotes that that I've given you. Remember the X Y Z formula. We got to be we got to be vigilant, vigilant, um, vigilant. Always go vertical. Always. Because the more we can keep the four horsemen at bay the more likely we are to have stable and happy relationships. And I want to leave us with this verse today. It's our memory verse. It's Romans 12, 18. And this, is, this kind of refers to my situation, that I my illustration. If it is possible, this is in the Bible, okay? If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. <laughs>